This is the Art of Dental Finance and Management podcast brought to you by Art Wiederman, CPA with Ide Bailey. Whether it's taxes and investing or planning wisely, Art is the expert to make your dental practice profitable. At Ide Bailey, what inspires you inspires us. We provide a suite of accounting and advisory services dedicated to the total care of your practice. Visit our website to access our tools and resources tailored for dentists, idebailey.com slash dentist. That's E-I-D-E-B-A-I-L-L-Y dot com slash dentist. This podcast is distributed with the understanding that Art Wiederman, CPA, and Ide Bailey, LLP are not rendering legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Listeners should consult with their business advisors before acting on any of the information or opinions shared. If you have questions and or feedback, make sure to email Art over at awiederman at idebailey.com. That's A-W-I-E-D-E-R-M-A-N at E-I-D-E-B-A-I-L-L-Y dot com. You can also give Art a call at 657-279-3243. Without further delay, here's your host, Dental CPA Art Wiederman. And hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Art of Dental Finance and Management podcast with Art Wiederman. I'm your host, Art Wiederman. I am a dental division director at the CPA firm of Ide Bailey. I've been part of Ide Bailey now for just over three years, a little bit. I don't tell my history too much. I ran my own dental CPA firm for 33 years with my dear friend, Pam Chamberlain. Uh, We worked with 200, 250 dentists in our office in Tustin. I merged my firm with a local firm uh, called HMWC and also in Tustin in 2018. And then in 2020, in July, uh, in the middle of a pandemic, um, uh, HMWC merged with Ide Bailey, one of the finest CPA firms in the country. I cannot tell you how excited I am to be a part of it. And you are going to meet one of our team members today. And folks, this might be one of the most important podcasts that we do this year or in any year. I want to give you some statistics. Today, we're talking about cybersecurity, okay? And my guest today is Kyle Hendrickson, who is our firm's director, um, is a director and our cybersecurity practice leader. Uh, He's the guy in charge of our cybersecurity group here at the firm. Cyber criminals are relentlessly, this is from an article in the Academy of General Dentistry online. Cyber, Cyber criminals are relentlessly targeting the healthcare industry. The number of data breaches impacting 500 or more records more than tripled from from 2012 to 2022 with more than 40 million patient records compromised in 2021 alone. That is a frightening statistic. So we're going to talk to Kyle today about what is a cyber breach, how can we prevent it, and most importantly, folks, what happens if one happens to you? What do we do? So we'll get to Kyle in a moment. I do want to thank my wonderful, wonderful partner, Decisions in Dentistry Magazine, uh, www.decisionsindentistry.com. Lorraine Kent and uh, Chain Moline and their team uh, over there in uh, over here in Southern California do an incredible job uh, with their clinical magazines, uh, top clinical contact content you could ever ask for. 140 really, really great CE courses for you, continuing education at a very reasonable price. And we're also working on the business side of dentistry, and we're going to have some really exciting stuff for you in the coming months to talk about. Uh, Go to their website, 
decisionsindentistry.com. We are now getting down to year-end tax planning, folks. We're going to be, this podcast will come up on the internet sometime, I believe, in early October. I'd have to look at my schedule, but I think that's when we're coming up. And uh, we are now getting through the tax deadline of October 15th, and now we get into year-end tax planning. So if you're a client of ours, and I know a lot of our clients are listening, please make sure you get all your accounting information to our team in Tustin. Um, And if you are not getting really good care from your CPA, your CPA doesn't return your phone calls, you get surprises on April 14th that you have to write a check for $60,000, they don't understand the business of dentistry, please give me a call. I mean, we work with about 300 dentists in our practice group in Tustin, uh, our partners, Don Watson and Pam Chamberlain are second to none. I'm so proud of the work that they do. Give me a call at 657-279-3273 or send me an email at awiederman at eidbailey.com. That's A-W-I-E-D-E-R-M-A-N at eidbailey.com. Be sure to check out our new Ide Bailey podcast, Ebb and Flow, a business podcast providing inspired insight on issues and trends the middle market faces. Hear unique business stories, get answers to frequently asked and unasked questions, and understand business topics that matter to you. Available now on your favorite podcast platform. Okay, with that, let's get to our uh, my guest. So Kyle Hendrickson is, as I said, the director, uh, is a director at iBailey, and he is our cybersecurity practice leader. Kyle helps our clients assess, integrate, and monitor their techno- technology solutions for cyber threats to ensure their strategic business goals are met without interruption. Um, let me tell you a little about his knowledge. And uh, you'll have to excuse me. I, You guys know that anything over three syllables, I have serious issues with. But this is what Kyle does. He has immense knowledge in server architecture, virtual interf- infrastructure. See, I can't even pronounce these words. Virtual infrastructure, network security, network design, complex systems, implementation, and advanced troubleshooting. He's helped manage and perform assessments against regulatory requirements and industry best practices on information security, primarily in the SANS 20 critical controls. You know, Kyle, I read a book about that the other day. No, I'm just kidding. I did not. Anyway, Kyle is very, very much knowledgeable on cybersecurity and does a lot of work in the healthcare field uh, in space on this. So Kyle Hendrickson from Ide Bailey, welcome to the Art of Dental Finance and Management. Thank you, Art. It's good to be here. did I get all that right? You know, um, I think it'll come across that I know what I'm talking about here, but I'm ready <laughs> to just dive into it, Art. I, I've been in IT for uh, about 22, 25 years, somewhere in there. And a large part of that has been cybersecurity and IT leadership positions helping to secure organizations. So I've been around a while uh, and, and I'm ready to dive into the conversation today. All right. Well, let's do it. Okay. I want to start this with a comment that I get when I bring this subject up. And I say, so doctors, you, 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 how's your cybersecurity? And the answer is, well, my IT guy handles all that. Okay. Don't laugh too hard. Um, so what is your answer to that? If a dentist were to say to you or any business owner says, well, my IT does uh, handles my cybersecurity. Talk about so- that. Yeah. So first thing I would say is it's good to have a guy, um, but it's also no. it's good to know what that guy is doing. Um, IT has a different goal 
than cybersecurity. So when we start talking about information technology and just general technology support for our dentistry practices or other organizations that are out there that we're serving, um, IT's goal is to keep everything up and running. It's to install new software. It's to uh, meet those new changing things because things within the business don't stop growing, hopefully, and people don't stop wanting things. Um, they're troubleshooting, fixing things as they break, and making sure that they're keeping everything up and running. Um, but that's different than cybersecurity's goal. So cybersecurity's goal is how do we actually reduce risk for the organization against all of these malicious adversaries, uh, these, these bad actors out there on the internet that are looking to turn us into their product to monetize and the data that we have and, and our clients' data. So it's a little bit different uh, than just saying, I have an IT guy that can take care of things. Um, we really want to make sure, are they watching the right things and are they properly helping us mitigate risk for our organization? All right, so why, why healthcare? Prof I hear that healthcare professionals are a big target. What is it about healthcare professionals as physicians and dentists what is it about them that the that the bad guys like? Yeah, so they want data. They want the opportunity to cash out. This is a business for them. It is organized crime. Uh, traditionally, healthcare institutions, dentistry included, are focused in on their technology investments around patient care and how they can serve their clients better. That isn't always aligned with how do they protect those systems or protect their patient data the way they should be protecting it. And so that data, that that valuable asset, uh, are adversaries, the malicious actors know that that has value both from a resale perspective because this is sensitive data that can be used to further further financial crimes and, and monetize the theft of that data. But we also know that um, interruption of patient care is something that most practices will do nearly anything to prevent. So we've all heard of ransomware. That's really preventing that practice from getting access to those IT things. That might be a cloud-based system. It might be preventing us access to the laptops or the workstations that we're using within our practice. It may be uh, preventing access if we have uh, IoT-type devices, those smart things that are kind of computers, but kind of not computers that are plugged into the network that we use to support our patient care as well. And preventing access to that means they can try to extort us for, for money to get access, to get back up and running as an organization, or uh, to extort money from us so that they don't release our patient data out into the public to keep us out of that limelight. So they have a couple of different avenues that they're using. And at the end of the day, this is all about money. Now, I've heard that, tell us a little bit about these bad guys. I've heard there a lot of them are overseas. There's the dark web. I mean, it's not, I don't want to get into a dark, gloomy, horrible conversation, but I want our listeners to know, who, who are these people? So these are um, organized crime. I mean, at the the most of these organizations are organized crime. They're not all state sponsored, so they're not all promoted by government agencies in foreign countries. Um, but a lot of them are state ignored or uh, state off to the side. As long as you don't attack 
our, the residents of our country, we will just ignore what you have going on. And if it has the advantage of maybe disrupting the economy or businesses within a country that maybe we're not so friendly with, we may even encourage it or, or help fund some of your operations as well. So these are organized crime organizations. And when I say organizations, these are legitimate or semi-legitimate businesses. Uh, they have HR departments. They have recruiting departments. They they look at how they can invest in artificial intelligence and machine learning to make their operations more uh, advanced and things quicker. Um, they have people problems just like all of us. They have to make investments in their infrastructure. They have to balance how many uh, attack targets they have versus how many resources they have. Where can they invest their money? They're making business decisions just like we are in, in serving our clients, except we are their product. Now, tell me about, I mean, you're a really smart guy. There's no doubt about that. And your team is really smart. And the people that do the work that you do are really smart. But I've got to imagine that, that you are on your toes. It's like trying to figure out Google's algorithm. They're changing the rules on a daily basis, and they're finding new ways to get into your clients' computer systems, aren't they? Talk about the challenges that you, as a cybersecurity expert, have in trying to keep up with these guys. So let me start off with saying I, I think that we often make this problem harder than it needs to be. And that's not to say that cybersecurity is easy, but at Ide Bailey here, uh, we have formalized our approach around four ideas, protect, detect, respond, and recover. And that's how we approach this problem of cybersecurity for all those who we serve. Um, when I think about it, there, there's really no experiment that I know of that would benefit from more variables being present. And so if we're trying to make an organization be more secure, why would we give our adversaries unlimited options to take advantage of? The default configurations that our systems come with are extremely vulnerable to abuse. So if we take away those options and force our adversaries to start making more decisions, more decisions means more chances to get things wrong. And more chances to get things wrong means they're creating more noise within the environment in those cybersecurity logs, those things that my team watches. And it gives us, uh, as defenders, a huge advantage to start looking at what is that signal-to-noise ratio? What are those, those things that are happening? At the heart of it, um, our adversaries are trying to do IT things in our environments, on the systems that they compromise. And in most cases, they're compromising a typical business user or an office administrator or uh, a practicing medical professional, somebody who doesn't look like an IT person in those logs. So at the heart of it, we should all be asking of all of our providers, can, how soon could you detect a business person trying to do IT things? Okay. Let, let's get into kind of the, the, the meat of this, Kyle. Let's say I bring you and I call you up and say, Kyle, I've got Dr. Art Wiederman as a dental practice. It's uh, 2,500 square foot, seven operatory practice. We've got about uh, 12 employees and uh, they want, you know, they heard this podcast and they want to talk about cybersecurity. When you go in and do your first, where do you start? How did you said that the, you've got four different processes? Let's walk through this because I want people to understand 
how this works and what we're doing. Yes. Yes. So first, we want to understand what does the technology footprint look like in that that organization. So I'm assuming in a dental practice, we're going to have some sort of system of record where we're managing our practice upon. And and usually that's a cloud-based system. Um, And since it's cloud-based, we normally think that that's safe. And and a lot of times it is, sometimes it isn't. But what are we going to do to protect identity access into that with multi-factor authentication? And do we have proper logging in that system so that we can detect weird things happening and look at for those early indications of an attack? Because again, if we catch things as a as an incident early in that attack lifecycle, that's just an incident. That's not a breach. That's not a ransomware event. That's not a disaster that we have to deal with. And once we understand what that technology footprint looks like, we can start digging into what are those things that you're using to protect your environment and do they meet what we would expect from any of other our other clients and that minimum layer of security that we know is going to set us up for success against things like ransomware or other malicious actors that are trying to steal data from us. So you got to see what what kind of a what what kind of a system we have software in in dentistry, eighty to ninety percent of the dentists use three different kinds of software: EagleSoft, Open Dental, and Dentrix. And yep, they they all come with a. Um, I, I mean, these are all. And, and again, there's probably a false sense of security. They're thinking, well, my goodness, these companies are huge. They do thousands and thousands of installations every year. They must know how to protect us from cybersecurity, right? Or not. Well, I'm I'm not going to say that they aren't excellent right. at protecting it, but that's not the only way in. We all right. are using devices in order to access those systems right. of record that we're running our practices on. And so we want to look at that whole path of how we as people in the practice are interacting with the systems that are either cloud-based or on-premise, one of those three systems that you mentioned there. And so there's a lot of value in the protection of all of our assets and all of those paths because uh, just because it's a cloud-based system and it's protected to the max doesn't mean that it can't be compromised if one of your computers inside of your practice is compromised. So so again, go through the, these four steps again. You started with prevent, right? Uh, protect. Protect. Yep. Let's start with a P, well, Kyle. I yeah. got it right. Sort of. <laughs> Reducing the attack surface. Really, that's what we're trying to do is reduce the attack surface so we can focus in on protecting less stuff better. Okay. What's the second one? detect. So we want to uh, arm ourselves. As we take away options from our adversaries, we start forcing those decisions and we start giving them bad decisions that they can start making. That gives us the opportunity to start generating what does weird behaviors look like in the environment? Can we detect that business user trying to do IT things within the environment? And we have to have somebody who's watching for these things. And so that detect uh, really gives us the ability, the first head start that our initial controls, those protective things, the antivirus, the EDR, those things that we have out there to protect us on, on hopefully all of our computers, that something has failed and something has made it into that post-exploit phase. They've already gotten access to our network somehow. Now is the time to jump on it, pounce as defenders, 
take care of things as a just an incident, not a breach, not a ransomware incident, not a data theft, not a monetary theft. We want to make sure we're handling these things before they're disasters. So you're going to you're going to go in and train the dental the dental team on what they should do and what they shouldn't do. Now, is part of this also uh, opening an email that you shouldn't be opening? Isn't is that how it starts sometimes? So we do training along with the protect phase. Um, when we start looking at business email compromise, vendor payment fraud, all of these things like phishing, where they're trying to uh, gather credentials, trick us to log into systems that we think are our systems, but really aren't. And they're using that to leverage uh additional ways of getting access to our environment. Uh, maybe they're phishing and trying to get us to execute malicious code. Again, getting them a foothold inside of the network. Um, we do education around all these topics. One of the big things that really, I think, is going to hit home with everybody that listens to this is vendor payment fraud. And what happens when you cannot trust the person that you're dealing with through email, even though you've corresponded with them before. We're seeing a large amount of uh, organizations that get compromised, and then their email system uh, contains all of that previous conversation history, and it gets used by the adversaries to request payment details changes or other things. So let's say your account's payment uh, account's payable person, whoever is doing that or whatever service you're using to do that for your practice, receives an email from someone you normally do business with, but their email account was compromised. So they're not in control of it anymore. And suddenly that organization that's requesting payment has a change of address to send a check to or changing of payment details like ACH details or wire details for paying the invoice. And suddenly you've set that payment to the wrong place. And it's a place where that adversary has control over those financial details. Or maybe they say, hey, we're just doing normal maintenance here. We'd like to update and make sure that we verify that you have the same bank account, uh, account number and routing number. And Correct. that's an, see, I know a little bit, not much, yes. but a little bit. And, and, but, but this is, th- this is why we have to be so vigilant now. Um, all right. So let's talk about, uh, according to, uh, according to the health information sharing and analysis center, ransomware is the number one cybersecurity threat for the healthcare industry. L- let's talk about the, the life of a ransomware attack. How does it start? How does it happen? And then we want to talk about what we do, you know, when it gets uh, when we when we have one. But how does it start? How do how do they get in? Yeah. So um, I like to think of this as uh, the attack chain. So that series of events leading up to that ransomware disaster. So there's not magic. You can't just jump to the end where they're trying to extort you for money. They have to get remote access to one of your systems. So the most typical way is compromising um, an external internet-facing vulnerability, uh, compromising your remote access, or getting you to uh, execute malicious code on one of your computers, either through phishing or through visiting the wrong website. And so once they get malicious code on one of your endpoints, or they compromise uh, your remote accessibility, so people working from home uh, in, for your practice, they're really they're, they're trying to get more rights on that uh, workstation or that laptop 
than what they started off with. So they're trying to get administrative privileges on that endpoint. And then from there, they have to be able to get the ability to remote control that compromised computer from somewhere else on the internet because they're not right next to you. And then from there, they need to be able to survive a reboot. They don't want to re-break into your organization every time a computer restarts. And then they need to discover uh, key information about your systems and your network to make those next jumps to the next workstations or the servers or the cloud-based systems. And then they start gathering data. They start stealing that data. And then from there, uh, they're either going to deploy ransomware or they're going to uh, deploy a, a destroying agent where suddenly you can't access your computers anymore and they won't restart and you can't do anything with them. And so that's the typical progression of, of ransomware is, is throughout that attack chain. I mean, I'm assuming you've seen this put businesses out of business, correct? Yes. So we have evidence uh, in 2022 of several hospital systems not surviving. We have wow. evidence of large organizations going through bankruptcy. Ide Bailey has evidence uh, of clients that we will no longer be able to provide services to in 2023 and 2024 because they were not properly protected against ransomware and they are going through bankruptcy. So the last tax filing season will be their last tax filing season. Wow, that, that's scary. Let me take a second because I, I hope, folks, I have that, that Kyle and I, well, mostly Kyle, because he's scarier looking than I am, um, have scared you because this is a big deal. And if you do not protect, I don't care if you're a single doctor office with three employees or you're a multiple 20, 50, 100 practices, if you think you're covered, you might not be covered. So, Kyle, talk a little bit about the services that I Bailey provides. And again, you know, folks, I, you know, my guests, some of them, many of them, they do work in the dental industry. We work in the dental uh, profession and this is important. So Kyle, talk about what you guys do and give out your contact information. If anybody wants to talk to you or one of your team members about uh, potentially, you know, maybe seeing if we can help because I mean, one breach uh, will cost you, a ton of money. And like he just said, like Kyle just said, put you out of business. So um, how do you work with folks if a dental practice were to call? How, how would that start? Yeah. So first of all, we have a commitment to protecting the communities that we serve and the clients in those communities. So we're here to assist anybody, whether you're a current client or not a current client. We we believe strongly in, in protecting those around us. And so uh, we have services both on the defensive, the protecting organization, and the offensive that attack and identify the gaps for that organization so that we can make a plan on how to solve them. So along with advisory services, we try to be very comprehensive on how we approach cybersecurity in a very logical, a practical, pragmatic approach to this, and, then, and try and take some of that complicated out of a very complicated topic. Uh, as far as working with me and my team, you can reach out to me directly and I'll get you to the right member. Um, my uh, email address is khendrickson at idbailey.com. So K-H-E-N-D-R-I-C-K-S-O-N at 
bailey.com. And my office number here is 701-239-8637. And I would encourage you again, I understand uh, that I work for iBailey, but I absolutely 150% support the work that we do in our different groups and cybersecurity. It is just some scary, scary stuff. I've had a couple of clients who've called me and said they got breached. So let, let's talk about, I, I want to ask you about off-the-shelf antivirus software. There was you know, different companies that do that. Do people even do that anymore? So, yes, people do that. The, the problem with off-the-shelf uh, software is they protect against uh, default off-the-shelf attacks. And that's not really what we're dealing with anymore. We're dealing with uh, a more advanced adversary that's taking advantage of these vulnerabilities that are built into the operating systems and the software that we're installing to be able to support our practices. And so we need to move beyond just that default approach solving the default problem because that's not the lion's share of what we're dealing with anymore these are more uh again we're, we're talking about things like the attack chain this isn't just uh the antivirus of, of 10 years ago this is true malicious code some of it is um not even touching the hard drive it's all in memory and and so we're looking at behavior-based detections as being a lot more beneficial than than uh standard signature-based detection in the traditional antivirus methodology. So we have some listeners to our podcast, Kyle, that are single, many of them are single dental offices, but we have others that are networked, uh, the computers are networked. Is your work in doing protection for cybersecurity different for a single office that's maybe got one server or a cloud-based server versus multiple offices? Is that a different, uh, a different project or a different animal for you? So we might uh, recommend different solutions for a larger organization than a smaller organization, just based on the economies of scale. Um, but overall, the approach is the same. We want to make sure that we're reducing that attack surface, tackling that protect stage. We want to make sure that we're increasing the signal to noise ratio, that detect. We want to make sure that we can enable uh, whether us or the IT services that you're using currently to take action faster. We need to respond quicker than the adversary to catch it as a really tiny incident rather than that disaster. And then we also need to make sure that you have the right pieces and parts in place to recover and making sure simple things like once a backup has been made, it cannot be modified, deleted, or changed after that backup has been made. That immutable copy of data is there in the case of the worst case scenario. You can still get your practice up and running uh, in an efficient manner. And most of this software, if you do it right, you shouldn't lose a lot of data, right? If you, if you do it right. Correct. We now have options that get data loss under that 15-minute window if necessary. So we're not talking about very much data loss. It's all about risk versus reward. How much uh, do you? Uh, how much does that data outage or the systems outage? hurt your practice and what is the right amount of money to spend to make sure that we're matching with that risk to your organization? Now, I, in healthcare, we have the whole issue of HIPAA, and that's a big deal. Now, obviously, if someone gets hacked and there's ransomware and they the bad guys demand money, don't you also have risks that 
you've created HIPAA violations through this whole process of not being prepared, or is that not an issue? So HIPAA becomes a really, really big thing. So we have responsibilities around ensuring that uh, PHI, ePHI is kept confidential. We have uh, requirements around identifying and protecting against potential threats to that information. And we have requirements around protecting against any reasonably anticipated disclosure, disclosures and ensuring that our workforce is properly trained and making sure that we're taking care of all that. I think that uh, with all of the news around things like ransomware and these advanced actors, um, we would have had to have been buried our head in the sand uh, to say that we haven't reasonably been warned about some of these threats at this point. Oh, and the news so, all the time, yeah. And when we start thinking about the penalties and the fines associated with that, that comes down to uh, willful neglect. Did you intentionally ignore this risk? And then that has a very large weight in uh, how much as far as fines and penalties um, as part of HIPAA and the breach that, that we're liable for, along with potentially class action lawsuits if the breach is large enough. And do we have cybersecurity insurance coverage? What are those sublimits? And did it even cover enough to make it a difference for us? Well, since you brought that up, that was one of the other things I wanted to talk to you about is cyber insurance coverage. It is available um, how does cyber and maybe I mean, you're not an insurance salesman, but I'm, I'm assuming you know enough about this to be seriously dangerous. Um, how does cyber insurance work? How what does it cover? Yeah. What doesn't it cover? So. We can only reduce risk so much. I mean, we we only want to spend so much to reduce risk within our organization. And there's always that leftover risk. We think that we're 90% protected against ransomware, but we know that there's a, a, a low potential, but high impact thing that's hanging over our head like ransomware. So we want to uh, share that risk with someone else. We pay an insurance company to share that load with us. Um, as far as going through the process for um, uh, cybersecurity insurance and getting that policy in place or getting that renewal, um, we learn or we lean on on experts like Marsh McLennan, Marsh MMA, uh, the largest cybersecurity insurance broker in the United States. And so uh, they, when they go shop these policies around for clients of ours or whoever they're working with, uh, they've come back and said, there's 12 key cybersecurity controls that have to be in place really before we can even get a policy in place. Um, 2017 really ruined it for everybody from a cybersecurity insurance perspective, because that's really the first year that ransomware came on the scene. And cybersecurity carriers started taking huge losses around ransomware, where it was tra traditionally, it was more of a gimmick type policy for cybersecurity insurance. It was a, a rider essentially on business interruption insurance. Now, with all of the ransomware that came out, carriers don't like to, to lose money. They don't like to make payments. They like to collect premiums. And so they've made changes on these requirements that are needed to make sure that you are an acceptable risk to them to uh, share that risk burden and make sure that they can remain profitable and continue to honor any claims that come out. So these changes have hit us really, really hard over the last few years. And 
the premiums have gone up. I mean, there there's more risk on their part now, so they're charging more for sharing this risk with us. So, yeah, but but it's a good idea to have the policy if you can get yep. it, right? Okay. 100%. And and so the rates of cybersecurity insurance are actually increasing. Even though premiums are going up and sublimits and and coverage limits are are shrinking, more people are investing in cybersecurity insurance because they see it as a vital path to keeping their organization up and running if one of these things should occur. So this just popped into my head now. These bad guys are not really honest and honorable people. They're business people, but they're running a criminal organization. So someone gets you on ransom malware and they say, we want $100,000. Do they, if you pay the $100,000, do they generally give you your computer back or do they say, oh, well, no, now it's 150000 or now it's two hundred? How do they, do they do that? So it's not all one organized crime organization. Uh, it's multiple. There's many spread across many different nation states. And some of them have a, a business history of honoring their word, and others are known for going back on their word. We have things like double extortion and triple extortion now. So uh, ransomware gets put into your environment, and they're asking for money in order to give you the keys to get back into all of your systems. And they're extorting you for that payment. After you make that payment, some of them will come back. Okay, well, we stole your data too, and now you need to pay us to not release this out onto the internet. All of that sensitive EPHI data on all of your clients. Social pay us or we'll put numbers. it out there. Yep, okay. everything. And I then mean, we have others that we have evidence that say, well, we didn't really delete it when you paid us that first or that second time. We're going to need more money. And honest, seriously, we'll delete it for sure this time. Uh-huh. Sure you will. So this is really, really bad stuff. Okay. So Kyle, this is this is really great. Um, and and folks, I hope I have scared and Kyle has scared to use a technical term, the bagoolies out of you. I hope we have scared you to take some action, whether it's with someone like Kyle at Ide Bailey or some other company, as long as you know that this is a call to action. And you need to take a look at this. And it's not just your IT. Your IT guys are real sharp. Uh, a man or woman, but they probably don't have the sophistication to take it to the next level to handle the cybersecurity threats. All right, let, let's cover the last topic today, Kyle, which is, okay, we have a breach. They got us. What do we do? So I'm assuming you you not only come in on the um, uh, the, the defensive side, of, uh, and I, I didn't follow the offense, and I love, love football, but I didn't follow offense and defense on you here, but the um, protecting us to do everything we can to mitigate the risk, but what happens if they get through? What do we do? Yeah, so uh, let's say that our, our dental practice does get ransomware. What's the first step? So the first steps is, is contacting your cybersecurity provider along with, uh, if you do have cybersecurity insurance, we need to contact the, the cybersecurity insurance carrier. Uh, your cybersecurity insurance carrier, most often, in every case that I know of, has pre-negotiated contracts associated with forensic uh, recovery type individuals. They also have uh, uh, 
uh, attorneys, uh, breach attorneys that can get that conversation and the communication around this incident protected with attorney-client privilege. So it's not discoverable if there is a class action lawsuit in the future. And then they have teams that they've already pre-negotiated rates with that can do that negotiation if necessary. If we need to make a payment to the ransomware actors, they can negotiate the terms and conditions and potentially get a lower payment amount than than you could on your own or ascertain is, are they reputable? Do they have the right um, uh, history, business history of honoring their words uh, in that recovery? Uh, or do they need to engage with an outside firm such as I Bailey in order to just start rebuilding from, from scratch um, if, if you cannot recover from backups? So, so, so the insurance companies actually know who some of these bad guys are Yep. whether they're reputable or not. And, and you know, um, I, I also heard something, maybe I'm wrong about this, that um, sometimes the bad guys, you know, they're not going to ask a dental practice for $100 million because they're not going to get it. They're going to ask for an amount of money that is enough to make it worth their while, but enough that the that the dentist is just going to pay it and, and not even think about it. What are they thinking about as far as how they set their ransom? Yeah, so very often, once the ransomware actor gets into your environment, they're not flying blind. They're getting access to your your ERP or your accounting or your books, the spreadsheets. Uh, they often have a copy if you have your cybersecurity insurance policy saved on your network. They're downloading a copy of that, too. They already know how much your cybersecurity insurance policy will cover. Jeez. They know the financial condition <laughs> of your organization. Oh, so no. they're sizing their demands commensurate to your organization as it's functioning right now. So they know the maximum amount of pain that they can extract from your organization when they're monetizing you. Okay. I, I'm, 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 I'm watching my listeners through my microphone and they're shaking and they're saying, oh my God, no, th th this is bad stuff. What about artificial intelligence? How is that affecting all this stuff these days? Yeah. So when we start thinking about artificial intelligence and machine learning and all of these buzzwords that we keep hearing about, um, I would say they don't contain magic either. Um, they can't just jump to disaster going through that attack chain. But what they do have is the ability to accelerate and compress that timeline for our malicious actors that are trying to attack us. So they can turn an attack that may be averaging nine days down into, let's say, three hours now. So we need to do what we can from uh, taking away options side of things, increasing the level of detections and quickening our response so that we can effectively push that attack chain back out again, giving us as defenders more and more time. So there are things that we can do to make it harder to work and move through our environments as adversaries. That's what we need to do because they're trying to do the opposite, taking advantage of these new technologies like AI or, or machine learning, those types of things. They're trying to get in, smash and grab, go as fast as they can. And these new these new technologies are enablers of that. While they have great power for us to make people uh, a force multiplier and be more efficient within our business by taking advantage of things within AI or machine learning, 
think of it the same way. Our, our adversaries have those same capabilities. They now can become even more efficient in what they're doing. So what does this look like in the next? I mean, technology only gets more and more and more sophisticated. You've got this AI. What does cybersecurity breaches look like in the next five years? Do you think they're going to get, are they going to change? Is it the same animal each time? What, what do you see coming down the pike? So I'm not good at predicting the future, but what I am good at doing <laughs> is looking at the past to make some smart decisions going forward. And so when I look at the past, we've been dealing with different versions of the same problem for at least the last two decades. Ransomware is just the latest version of that. And there are certain things within cybersecurity that are hard, not because they're complicated topics, but because we get distracted Humans lose track and lose focus of things. And we need to make sure that these basic hygiene things, those reducing the attack surface and knowing what we should be focusing in on and looking for key malicious behaviors and being able to respond and actually be watching for those right things, uh, making sure we're measuring that so we can continue to have focus on them over time. Um, we've been dealing with vulnerability management for as long as there's been software or hardware. We as a culture still are not good at vulnerability management, solving those <laughs> configuration weaknesses, those software flaws, or other protocol weaknesses within our environments. We can tackle these problems with continued focus, but we need to be looking at the right area and with measurement comes improvement. So now when you go in and you do this, okay, um, I don't know, and I'm asking, I don't know if this is a 100% solution. In other words, a company hires I'd Bailey to help them with their cybersecurity issue. It is still potentially possible that something can get through, even though you do every possible thing you can to prevent it. Is that right? Or is it, I mean, it's much, you're going to have a much better chance of success if you do all the steps, right? Yep. So uh, there's nothing that's 100% in life. And I think that's true across everything that we deal with. Um, but I will say that um, this is a financial thing for our adversaries. And we have both targeted and opportunistic attacks. And why that's important is, is going back to the money things. If I'm running a business uh, I have revenue minus expense gives me profit. Really, really simple. Well, if we become the organizations that cause that equation to go unprofitable, there are better low-hanging fruit hanging out there that they can go money on, that they can go make money on. If our organization causes them to have to redeploy their attack infrastructure, all of their technical attack tools, if they have to recreate them because by dealing with us, we just expose them and their tactics to all of the other security vendors. And now suddenly they won't work in anybody's environment. We just wrecked things for them. Or if nice. they have to devote more people to attack us to get to their goals, we just made it more expensive for them to attack us. We also know if we're making it that much harder, they have less likelihood of success. So they're at a point right now where they just have resource challenges. There are so many things out there, so many organizations for them to attack. They're not going to bother unless there is a significant reason to do so if you're going to break what they're doing for everyone. 
So can they go in and let's say they decide they're going to they're going to attack Kyle Hendrickson's dental office. All right. I just made you a dentist. Thank you very much. All right. So they're going to attack your dental office and they go in and they start their first couple of steps of trying to seize your system. Will they see pretty quickly that, well, you know, these guys have really got their act together. We're going to move on to the next business that doesn't. It's almost like having an alarm uh, sign in front of your house. If you have an alarm sign in front of your house, the bad guy may go rob the house next door where there isn't an alarm sign. Is that a good analogy? Yeah. So first off, it it feels like I've just been knighted. Art. I mean, I feel the, the weight <laughs> uh, of getting my own dental practice here. Um, well, hey, listen, don't ever say I never did anything for you, right? <laughs> yes, yes. So, yes. So, again, essentially, we're becoming the least preferred target. Right. We want to make sure that our neighbors get to visit with the adversaries before we do. Uh, there are things that when we look at default attacks and how these opportunistic type attacks work, um, if they can't get through those first two or three or four steps, even if they do get malicious code into uh, our environments, um, we go on the wait list. Even if we don't do anything further, we go to the back of the line, they go and attack a, an easier target. Right. And so so prevention, uh, let's say, uh, an ounce of prevention, uh, prevention is worth a pound of cure. Uh, testing of firewalls. Do you test firewalls daily, yep. weekly, monthly? How do you do that? So we do that based on risk. Um, so the more risky your organization, the more frequently we're going to test. And so you were mentioning offense and defense earlier. This is the offense. This is taking advantage of systems with trusted uh, partners like iBailey to be able to try and break into things and make sure that you are properly protected, identifying those weaknesses and those gaps. And then we talk through that and present solutions on how we can make you more secure. And we're not just here to uh, identify a whole bucket load of stuff for you to fix. We're here to help you fix it and reduce risk. So that's one of the things that separates us from uh, some of the other cybersecurity partners out there. So, I, and by the way, this is just amazing information, Kyle, and it's so important for our doctors. I mean, one breach, I mean, just talk about the psychological effect that this has on business owners. You've been doing this work for many, many years and you've talked to, I mean, what does this do psychologically? Uh, I mean, when I moved into my house in Huntington Beach, oh my gosh, 30, 34 years ago, in the first two weeks we were there, we we were actually robbed and somebody broke in and they stole a, an old stereo and a couple other things. I was absolutely just in pieces for months over this. How, how do business owners feel once this happens? I mean, it's a long lasting effect, isn't it? So uh, when we start looking at attacks, and so we know statistically speaking, uh, for organizations that have been through a ransomware attack, uh, roughly 32% of those organizations lose top leaders within their organizations. So in a dental practice, this may be a practicing dentist, but not the lead partner. They might be the lead partner. They might sell their practice as a result of this. Uh, we know that we might lose uh, office administrators. We might lose, if we're a larger practice, 
practice IT managers, we know that roughly a third of the time we are going to lose top leadership either because they don't want to be there anymore because they've had enough or they get asked to leave because they weren't properly protecting everything. And so when you think about losing top leadership and the disruption that that has with the organization, along with a a very shaken faith in our ability to serve and protect uh, the clients that that we're trying to protect, um, it has long-lasting impacts on organizations. Wow. Uh, my head hurts. I think I want, I don't know whether I want to cry or go have a glass of wine or what I want to do, but uh, this is, this is bad stuff, folks. And I have been wanting to uh, bring this topic to you for a long time. And I'm so glad that Kyle was able to make the time to do this for us. So Kyle, one more time, if someone has a question and they want to know how you work or they just have a question, uh, how do they get a hold of you again? Uh, yeah, so it's it's no problem. Uh, we're here for any conversation, and and all of this starts with a conversation. So you can get my email at k hendrickson h e n d r i c k s o n at ibailey dot com, uh, or you can reach me by phone seven zero one two three nine eight six three seven. And Kyle's information will be in the show notes. Kyle, hang out with me, please, until I take the podcast out. Thank you for the fantastic information. I mean, this is a, I mean, I know a lot about the topics that I bring on to this program. This is not an area that I am an expert in, and this is why I am so thankful that we have a resource here at Ide Bailey like Kyle and his team. Uh, and I, I just hope and pray that we never, have, <laughs> I, I hope and pray that our current clients never have to call you. But uh, for those of you out here that have not addressed this, Uh, you really should seriously consider it. Anyway, again, folks, thank you so much. We have some great topics coming up in future podcasts on management and finance and insurance and retirement. And we're going to do a a year-end tax planning. My gosh, we're almost at year-end tax planning. We'll do a a year-end tax planning uh, conversation for dentists uh, uh, coming up here near uh, November, December. Uh, Again, if you are looking for a dental CPA, please give me a call. Uh, 657-279-3243, or my email is a Wiederman, W-I-E-D-E-R-M-A-N at idebailey.com. Um, please check on with our partner, Decisions in Dentistry Magazine, uh, www.decisionsindentistry.com, 140 fantastic continuing education courses at a very, very reasonable price to get your CE done. Uh, www.decisionsindentistry.com. And again, we got some great stuff coming up that I'm doing with them. Uh, Real excited in the coming months to share some of that with you. Well, with that said, Kyle, thank you so much for uh, spending the time with us and giving my audience uh, some really, really great information. I appreciate it, Art. I I always look forward to getting to uh, spend time with nice people. You called me nice. You just made my day. That'll make it a great weekend because we're recording this on a Friday. Kyle, thank you so much. And with that, everyone, that will be it for this edition for of the Art of Dental Finance and Management with Art Wiederman podcast. Thank you for listening. Please tell all your friends about the podcast, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Art of Dental Finance and Management podcast. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. The Art of Dental Finance and Management podcast is produced by Ide Bailey in partnership with Art Wiederman, CPA, Decisions in Dentistry Magazine, and the Academy of Dental CPAs. 
For audience questions and feedback, email Art Wiederman, awiederman at idbailey.com. That's A-W-I-E-D-E-R-M-A-N at E-I-D-E-B-A-I-L-L-Y.com. Or you may call Art at 657-279-3243.